Greetings, and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. In this episode, we hear from artist Natalie Ball, who dives right in sharing critical art world survival insight gleaned from a life-changing studio visit by artist Willie T. Williams while she was attending Yale School of Art. Among a long list of support tactics Willie imparted, the artist implored Natalie to find a means to sustain a studio practice beyond sales, and as an artist, to always be in control of your work and process. Natalie also shares vulnerable truths from her experience as a Black Indigenous artist navigating both the Native art world and the larger contemporary art world. We chat about higher education and how it has been a pathway of respite as Natalie navigated motherhood from a young age. We talk about the journey Natalie experienced having a child with a chronic illness and how she took a five-year hiatus from art, stepping into a focused world of love and care for family back home on her territory. We talk about this current moment in time for Natalie, unpacking the need for administrative support in order to create the time to make the work and how art school does not always provide the tangible insight on how an artist can build this support into their career. Material in place informs Natalie's work most. From her studio practice to motherhood to work on her territory, everything is connected. She uplifts play and joy as critical components to her practice, noting the courage and intention it takes to create this response to a harsh world. Through her work in life, Natalie asserts that art is power and holds the ability to transform our way of thinking. In her practice, she boldly asks her audience to open their hearts and minds to new ways of seeing, presenting a call to come with me. You can hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. Yeah? Okay, cool. I feel official. (laughs) This is professional shit. Let me get on... Spot it. We lose um, internet like crazy over here. Okay. <clears throat> Woo! Finally, we get to have our call. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is epic, actually. I know. It's so good. I was chatting with Amaryllis, and she said that she got to hang out with you at Yale. And I just love, I love the intersections that we have in our lives, even though we've never met. <laughs> right? Ever met. <laughs> I think we were in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the same time. And I still don't think we met there. No, I, yeah, we weren't out and about, um, I think the times that you were out and yeah, it's just so funny. I have like this kind of kindred spirit vibe with you, but like, this is the first time I ever actually talking to you, like, in- <laughs> like face to face, just you and I, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, she it was a pleasure just to be in Amaryllis's like company and her energy again. She's a really special human being. So I just um that was like a really good moment for me. Like post Yale, we've lived a life outside of Yale and then we come back and we t- talked about that life that we've lived. All the love to Amaryllis. Like I 
and like sent her love because I would find a note she wrote to me like in a coat that I wore and it would be random and then I would send her you know a lovely text back but um, I'm glad that she is part of your um, people. Yes yeah she's like one of my ride or dies she's like my sister. I love that connection with you all. And she also said hanging out with you was so generative and just like seeing you all and post Yale, but the art world is rough, yeah. rough and rugged, you know, it's not. Like- it's rugged girl. <laughs> and so like, that's kind of what this podcast is about. It's like transmitting ideas between artists, peers for us to like speak to each other, you know? Um, and hopefully help to like dismantle some of that toxicity in the art world. <laughs> to break it up a bit. Yeah. Or try to. Yeah. Yeah. Or just provide like some survival tools. Yeah. That's, I think that's where it's at. That stuff is priceless. It's gold. It was gold for me. Um, and I talked about this advice that I got from a studio visit. It was my last one at Yale. And after I got that advice, uh, from William T. Williams, I shut my studio down and I just um, started planning based on the advice that he gave me for post Yale. Wow. Do you want to share what that advice is or is that like super private? I mean, I, I can't verbatim. Like, remember, I have a whole list. I think I'm going to frame it after I've gone through that list. Okay. So he came. It was my second year at Yale. Um, we all struggle. Oh, God. I did a lecture last year. This is off topic, but it is related. Um, and an indigenous woman, young woman from Canada was on, I think it was Emily Carr, maybe a lecture there. And she, she was there. She heard me speak about Yale. And then she applied and got in. And, and then I just met her uh, when I headed back to Yale. And she was like, it, uh, having a really hard time. She was like, but I went here because of you. I was like, sis, you got to fight back. <laughs> here are some tools. You got to fight. You're like, you have to come here and know that you're about to fight. Um, wow. Um, in a lot of different ways, just pushing back. I think pushing back is what I mean, but um, also fighting. Um, yeah. So I felt really, I felt a certain kind of way about that. So I gave her some advice that I got from William T. Williams. He just came in and he was like, Natalie, he didn't want to talk about the work. I don't even know if he wanted to talk about it. Cause I don't even know what I was doing at that time in the studio. <laughs> and he just sat down and he sat me down. He was like, you have a lot of kids and I, and I think that you want to be home with them. Um, and here's how you do it. So you always are in control of the work you're making. Um, and you're driving it. And he just said, get a pen and a piece of paper and write this down. And he was just, he was just spewing out all these ideas and thoughts and people and places and foundations to where I could um, just stay in a studio practice that's outside of like gallery and museum sales. Um, So I've just been doing that. Um, And I think it, it sort of saved me a a little bit. It it saved me a lot of (laughs) it, but he just gave me this rundown of places to go to seek uh, financial help in, like really top quality places that have like funded my studio practice and my work yeah. so that I don't have to take the sales. Um, so I can be in control, really. Yeah, well, that's kind of some sort of control. That, that's one of the most inspiring things about witnessing your practice from afar and hearing you speak about your practice is that like autonomy and control. And so maybe we should like step back a few steps because I, 
because I want to share with people what I already know about you a little bit just to kind of catch everybody up. In your bio, it states that you have a bachelor's degree with a double major in indigenous race and ethnic studies and art at the University of Oregon. And you're born and raised Portland, Oregon, right? And then you furthered your education in Aotearoa in New Zealand at Massey University, and you got a master's in indigenous contemporary art. And we have a lot of friends like crossover there too, right? Totally. <laughs> and then it, in 2018, you earned your MFA in painting and printmaking at Yale School of Art. So you've been in this trajectory of education um, so much as an artist. And uh, many people can't keep up with the critique and demands of academia. So let's talk about your journey in formal education and what made you decide yeah. to embark on that path as, and as a practicing artist, how has it impacted your ability to create and navigate the art world? And you kind of started talking. Yeah, thank you. I, um, I started, so I was a mama pregnant 17 um, birthed her when I was 18, my oldest little Tommy. And I just have always seen academia as respite for like, um, I was working full time on my own, raising her. And then my cousin, Angie Morrill, she's a PhD. She's a doctor now. She was a single mama too. She was like, girl, they're going to give us money. They're going to give us housing. And all we have to do is go. And she was like, let's apply to the University of Oregon and take our babies. And we did. Oh, yeah. We did. And she was struggling in a certain kind of way that I was. And so we just went, I went for respite just to have a break and to really um, enjoy my baby. Um, I didn't have to work. I received a, scholar, a, full, a full tuition, full scholarship at the University of Oregon. So that's, and so I have a really, um, I love being in school because I know how hard real life is. Yeah. It was hard. It was extremely hard. And I was just like, I just felt out of control. I felt like I was losing it. Um, I didn't know what else. It was just everything happened so fast that um, I wanted some sort of control, I think. And then, and I wanted to, to be around my baby in the ways that I couldn't when I was working full time. So that's what the University of Oregon was for me. But then also, um, it just opens up your world. Like I found art there, like like contemporary art. Guillermo Gomez Pena and Coco Fusco, couple in the cage I found there blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, this is art. Okay, <laughs> let's do art then. And like, so I so that's that was sort of my journey, um, starting at the University or University of Oregon as a mama uh, with one child then, and then. Um, I moved back home to um, Chilliquin after I graduated from the University of Oregon. But also I wanted to build a language around what I was experiencing in the world. And I think that that degree um, in ethnic studies, they call it something different. Now you said it. I can't always remember it. But that degree helped me build a language and helped me to understand historically what I was experiencing um, in my life and, and building a language around that. So I coupled that with art. So that was neat. I uh, went back home to Chiloquin um, just for like a year. I worked for my tribe in um, public relations. I had a house on the river and I built a, a body of work because I wanted to go back to, I wanted to go to art school. So then I applied for uh, Massey University at Te Putahia Toy. Uh, and then it's just, I don't know, I just found that um, academia 
though it is hard and though you're constantly being critiqued in these spaces, um, it's a lot easier than the real world for me. <laughs> I, I think as a mom, like, I don't know, just being honest. Like if you if you know how to hustle and you know how to hustle in academia, you can make it work for you. Um, and I can have downtime where I'm really like seeing, like exploring these things, my interests. I'll have the time for myself as a mama. Um, and I was eating good. I've never eaten that well <laughs> until I got to academia. Yes. I was on food stamps too. <laughs> I had a beautiful refrigerator. Um, I don't know. It was because I just have some really great memories with my cousin, um, Angie, um, my nephew, Leroy, and he's no longer with us. And also um, my daughter, Lafani Tani, just raising them in this space was uh, pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And then also, so I went to Aotearoa for that program, I didn't find what I was looking for. Really? Even though I finished the program. Yeah, I, I did not. Um, I found what I was looking for personally as a um, as an Indigenous woman who's Black Indigenous. I found what I was looking for outside of that program in, in community uh, with Nahina Hohaya. She's from Taranaki. Um, I found... I found everything I was looking for that I thought I would get in that program outside of it, I guess. Mm. So I'm really grateful for those experiences, what resistance there looked like, um, um, what having your language at the forefront of everything looks like. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a really great, it was a great experience. And I had that with my daughter. I pulled her out of school for a year. Uh, we were just traveling around, doing art, um, being in community. It was really dope. And then I came home um, with the, with that degree and then and started making work and then started showing work just in the Indian world. And this is me just being extremely honest. Um, I had a lot of pushback and I had a lot of um, resistance to the work I was making because I was bringing forward the Black Indigenous, indigenous experience. And I was coming forward with in all of who I was in these really stacked spaces that has a certain idea and projection of what Indian is in, in, in these spaces. And I didn't fit that. And I was, I had a lot of, I had a lot of trouble, I guess, honestly. And I have receipts and I have people who witnessed these experiences that I was having. So I wasn't, so I, I, I would question it, but I knew that it, what was happening was because I was black. And because I wanted to bring that into the Indian experience and that history. Um, and so I stopped doing art. And I also um, was expanding my, I was having more babies. Um, and I had a baby who was born with a chronic illness. And so that pushed me back even more. I was like, I'm just going to focus on being healthy, uh, figuring out what she needs, uh, what that even looks like what even a chronic illness is, <laughs> you know, uh, being honest about that. Yeah. What is a kidney? I didn't know what a kidney was really, how it functioned. I had a whole nother world that I was put into because um, I had a baby who had certain needs and I found that love and care for her and for my family here on our territory in this community. And so I just really um, rooted in our community at home and show and just for five years, 
didn't answer any more emails. Um, I wasn't even listening to music. I was just really focused on all of that and whatever that was and being in a new relationship. But I just learned what like real fear was and like what real um, being afraid was. And I feel like I had to deal with that because I've never been more afraid as like my position as a mama than I was when my second child was born. Because I was like, I'm going to have a home birth. I, you know, romanticizing mamahood and like birthing because I had a really beautiful first birth. And I had, even though her birth was really beautiful, it was hard. It wasn't what I planned for. It was painful. So it kind of like took those glasses off, those rose-colored glasses. It just put me, it put me into a place where I was really had to fight to, for her to exist and for like, and to fight for the kind of life that I wanted. Um, which is like I'm I'm blessed because of that, but it was just really hard, <laughs> hella hard. Um, so I, I for five years didn't do art, wasn't even thinking about art. Um, just just focused on family, focused on being um, on territory, knowing the territory, focused on being in love with the territory. My kids um, and learning language and eating first food and knowing what that was for our season. And then at that fifth year, I was, you know, starting to feel like I had it down. You know, I started to feel comfortable. She was healthy. Everybody was okay. Um, and I was happy again. I just, and I, but I was um, in a relationship too that I knew that I wanted to be out of um, with the kid's dad. Just, to, you know, um, just being honest. And I, and I didn't know how to um, end that. I didn't know how to separate. I didn't know how to end that. And I also didn't want to work my tribe full time anymore because it it wouldn't, it wasn't allowing me to um, focus on having a studio practice again. Like I couldn't manage all these things. I couldn't fund my studio practice. Um, we were just really poor too. Even though we were happy, we were extremely poor. So I used, I, I Googled, I was working for social services for my tribe. I then had three babies that I was uh, raising. Um, I was in a relationship with, you know, he's an, he's an awesome dad. It's just, I didn't want that for me anymore. So I just closed my door in my office. I was office manager for social services of the climate tribes. And I Googled the top five programs in the United States for an MFA. And then I applied for all five. I had a hundred dollars <laughs> to spend all the application fees. I tried to get all of them waived. Yale wouldn't waive their application fees. I had to spend that hundred bucks on Yale. And then I was using this opportunity as also respite, as also a way to get out of something I didn't know how to get out of, to like create distance from that. And I got into, I think four of the five, maybe. Um, I can't remember. And then I went to Yale. I left my babies at home. Uh, my oldest was in high school. My youngest was five and and my middle child, Colica Coles, was six, almost seven. So I was done breastfeeding. You know, I had done my duty. You know, I breastfed all my kids for a really long time. My body was mine again. And I really wanted my body to be, like, mine again. Yes. You know, and I, and I think that's why maybe that relationship I had it wasn't for me anymore because I just wanted to know who I was again. Outside of being a mom, outside of being a partner, outside of being an employee for the Climate Tribes, outside of being a tribal citizen from our territory, I just wanted to go 
and figure out and go and look back, really. Um, so that's what I did. And also, like, you know, I wasn't groomed to go to Yale like other students or, or to think about going to Yale. I never thought about it. But um, just looking at the artists that come out of there, it's like a pedigree that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and I just was really, like, betting on myself. Because, like, you can go there and get accepted, but you have to do the work. Like you gotta, you gotta like show up and show out at Yale. So yeah, so that's kind of like my how I journeyed. Yeah, well, it feels like motherhood, really, like your north star throughout your life. Like you've been a mother from when you were so young, and you've kind of used that to catalyze and direct your um, your journey, and also to reclaim yourself and your autonomy. And it's interesting what a deep relationship you're talking about having with your tribal community and thinking about your work and your practice. And something I love about your work is that it's it's weird, you know, and like you don't always see you don't always see that weirdness. And that's one thing that really drew me to your work is like there's humor and there's integrity and there's a reverence, but there's also like class. And so what, what is your artistic um, conceptual practice like? And like, how do you, how do you go in? Yeah. Oh, um, I think then, I think the narrative, oh, what I want to talk about drive the material and then the materials drive the form and then the form um, embody the humor and the viscerality. So it's kind of like stages. Like I just applied for this public sculpture um, proposal through us, but like my practice is so, I don't know. I'm just having to really think about what my practice is through assemblage and their stages. Right. So I was trying to apply those stages to public art and it was really hard, but it helped me really look at what I'm doing in the studio and like how I'm my process. So I think I just, I start thinking about, um, materials and like materials that signify meaning and then how I can bring how you identify with something, um, trying to communicate to you through these materials, right? And to pull you in, to implicate you through these materials and the meaning that you might have associated with them. And also the humor uh, can implicate you into the work too. But to hold you there maybe a bit longer, formally as well, you don't even have to know what I'm talking about. I just, I want you to come along with me. Come, come, come in, come over here. So that's, that's my practice really is like the narratives drive the materials, and it kind of goes from there. But also, like, I think, bless William T. Williams, Uncle Willie, right? Because I feel like I don't have that pressure to sell the work. I don't have that pressure to thinking, thinking if you like it. I just, I want you to engage with it. I don't, it doesn't matter if you want to buy it or not. I want you to um, come with me. I want you to participate in this with me. I want to be as generous as I can in the materials in the humor, in the space I'm creating, because I want, I, I need you, right? I need you to come with me because I want you to hear what I have to say. And if you can't hear what I have to say, then age with it formally even. I'm okay with that because um, I can't control what happens when it leaves my uh, studio. You know, I can't, I can't be like, well, this is what this is. And that I can't be didactic um, with the work after it leaves me. So it's, I have to create it in a way that, yes, that's weird, right? The abject is really important in my work. You're thinking about the strange and the ugly um, smell. I really like to uh, 
think about smell uh, in the work too. If it can keep that smell, I think using smoke in the work is is really fun because it holds for long for long periods of time more than a perfume or anything. Yeah, like hide, like smoked hide and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and I tried that out at Yale at one of my critiques. I just smoked. I just smoked out this blanket, this wool blanket. Um, put it in one of the critique room overnight, and then pulled it out. And then when they would enter the room for critique, they're like looking around for this like really pungent smell, but like nothing was in there for them. They're like, "What is that?" <laughs> like, I'm smelling smoke. <laughs> You know, it's fun. I used booby trapping was a big thing in my studio when I was at Yale. I used to set booby traps. I used to have one of those Roombas, those um, vacuums that would kind of navigate the room while I was getting um, studio visits. So I think play and joy is a big part of my practice. Mm. Um, but to get that, it's a skill. I think that I have to be really mindful and um, intentional about because. To get there, I can't worry about you guys. I can't worry about the viewer and the institution. I have to really be present in that space. So, yeah. So I, I'm really protective and really intentional about this joy and this um, play in my practice. It's really important for me to have that as part of my um, like materiality even. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you're talking about this because I feel like there's like a lot of parallels in the way that Chinupa and I live our life and the way that we've hustled and set up our life so that we aren't depending on paychecks through art, but everything is like a nice benefit to like the life that we've carved out so that we can be strange and weird and push boundaries and uh, like keep joy. And it's really, I think I'm learning this kind of like secret space that artists need to remind themselves to like create and sometimes you can't create it through art like you found academia as like a vessel right um yeah i think i think that's really important and i'm really grateful that you're sharing that right now and also i just want to lead into like your radical approach to activating the in the art world through that joy and that mm. like that idea, like Chinupa always says this to me, like they need us more than we need them. And it's just like kind of readdressing the the power dynamic in the art world, you know, and um, you're working outside of mm -hmm. you. You work like outside of formal gallery representation. And so how did you come to this choice um, like formally? And can you share a bit about coming into this decision to work independently at this time? And is that something that you're going to carry mm -hmm. on ethically? Yeah, that's tricky, right? Um, I feel like I'm dating all the time. Like I'm dating, like I'm like, um, you know, I'm just seeing what these galleries are doing, how they treat me and being in care with each other and how they push the work, if they push the work, um, where they can push the work. That's really important for me. But I will say, just being honest about when that first year in 2019, when I got out of, uh, when I graduated Yale in 2018, in 2019, I didn't really, I, I managed to have my work in some really great collections. But then also at that time, I didn't, I didn't really care where the work was going. I needed to sell it because I didn't have time to really activate what, what Uncle Willie said in the studio. I had to start selling the work. 
when I got home because I my daughter was needing a kidney at that time, and then I was testing for that. So she was being she was being put on she was on dialysis, and that takes a lot of like home. You need to be home, right? I need to be home, and so I didn't. Um, I wasn't pulling at a lot of these um, threads and fellowships and scholarships that I would that I do now. So I was dependent on selling because I couldn't couldn't go back to work. I couldn't go back to a nine to five and care for her in the ways that I, I needed to and care for me because I had to get my body in a certain condition to be able to donate. And then I was doing testing all the time. So I needed to be home. Um, wow. So I was making the work and I was like, Hey, you want to work with me? I'll work with you. Let's push the work. Who's going to buy it? You know, I'm like, and hustling. Because I had to know if I was going to have a studio practice after. I didn't know if I could donate my kidney. She wasn't well. Um, I didn't know if I was going to even have a... I worked so hard for the studio practice to, like, create it, you know? And, like, um, I didn't know if I was going to even have one after that year. So I was just like, anybody wants to work, take the work. I don't know if I'm going to be making work next year or not. You want it, you got it. 55, 35, 35. You know, I was just on the go for 2019. I was hustling. The studio was popping. Um, and I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified. I was so shook by what was happening. But that has led me to now being through it. But also, um, what does it look like when I need to buy my work back? Wow. I want my work back. Like, I yeah, I don't, I don't want my work in a um, couple of collections that they're in. Because I, I want them home. I want them with me, and I want to place them somewhere else. So now I'm trying to figure I'm asking for help now um, for buying work back and what that looks like. So I think that gallery representation would be nice because I would have somebody to guide me through that. And, to, and um, gallery representation, I think, could be a really beautiful thing especially for my position as a, you know, a single mama in the world and having a lot of other things that are pulling me in different directions, just someone to do emails. This is like a public apology for all of those waiting on my emails. I swear I'll get there. I'm just having a hard time. That's so funny because that's my question. Um, that was like, there's so much admin and communication efforts that go into an art. Yes. So how do you balance that? There's so, so much admin. Um, what I was really fortunate to figure out is like getting a um, uh, a legal team as support. Um, so like an employment lawyer, I, I I have one that has helped me through some really great things. Also, just a lawyer who can look at contracts, like a contract lawyer, not not just specifically a contract lawyer, a lawyer who for me specifically looks at my contracts. So I can hand that over to them. They can do that work to sift through it and figure out, like, if there's red flags in there um, and that we can curate it to where I can have control. Um, I can have, I can be in control of of the work after it leaves me. So that's been really fun to do. Um, having being in a relationship with the work even after it leaves me is really important now to my practice. Um, yeah, that's where I found help is, like, paying people to help me and it's been lawyers I'm looking I think now I need to hire somebody to come in and help me with like the admin the emails um and keeping me my calendar straight so I can just be producing the best work 
that I can. Yeah, you need that support, especially now in this day and age, there's like an expectation almost that uh, studios have like a director or a manager so that the artist can be kind of toiling away at the at the actual practice. And and it it is, it's kind of a chunk of money and um, allocation of resource, but the benefit is so great. <laughs> so get that, get that. Peace of mind. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, so this is this is another public announcement for anybody who wants to be my manager. <laughs> um, also, I I have a crew. They're coming after we talk. Who, who comes and cleans my house? Who helps me just for that mental that mental wellness that well being? Um, having a clean house is really important for me because my studio is in my home. I just man, I just live for them coming through and cleaning up is a huge, I don't know, big for my mental health. Yeah. So I think, I think building a support team, but it curated for what my, your specific needs are knowing what you need. Cause I, for a while there in 2019, I didn't know what I needed. I know I needed money. Um, and that was all I was thinking about. Yeah. And so 2020 we were recovering from surgery and figuring out what post donation looked like for us. Um, and then I got back in the studio, I believe in 20, yeah, in 2020, I got back in the studio, but, um, taking it easy, drinking a lot of water. <laughs> I think water, water and lawyers have, have been good for my practice. Yes. Did the kidney, um, go through okay? Is everything on the outcome of that good? Yeah. It's, I mean, what do I say? So... Man, they, it was, ah, it's, it's always a fight, right? Like even to these, these, uh, how they, the tests that they run you through and like, uh, BMIs even like the history of BMIs and like knowing like they were thinking my body wasn't good enough. It was, um, my BMI was too high. I had to lose like 40 pounds. Um, so I ketoed, um, I was ketoing. I was, um, going to art fairs, um, and I got a call on my way to, I think, Canada, yeah, that I was, like, a match, because, like, not only had I, I had to get my body physically ready, I had to, like, do all this blood work to make sure that I could donate um, to her, so I got the match call, because, like, I was the only one testing for her, and, like, my whole family, I was the only one testing for her, and even though she, and she's a kid, and they get bumped up higher on the kidney donation, the wait list, but she was already on dialysis. I, you, no one should see their kid on dialysis. Like, that, that sucks. Um, so I got the call, and I was, like, running to a flight, crying. I was war hooping in the Seattle airport because I was so effing happy. It was, like, it was everything. It was everything. So that happened. And, and this is part of my practice, too, is why I'm talking about it, too, because it's, it's mamahood. Um, all the things that are affecting my life are affecting my studio and then seep into the studio and I talk about it in my practice. So it's a part of it. So she received my kidney. I donated, I gave my kidney to her on her birthday. It was really neat. She received it. We recovered. Um, It was right when the virus was coming through to, was coming through on our side of the world. 
Um, so we just recovered, hunkered down. She wasn't in school. We were just on the territory for a good two years. Wow. Yeah, everything. She's she's okay. We just have to maintain her health. Uh, we have to. She always has to be tested. She's she's going to be on these pills for the rest of her life, twice a day, eight a.m., eight p.m. You know, we have. You know, it's it's our lives. Yeah, it's it's just our lives. But she's a. She's not connected to tubes anymore, you know. She's living a full life. She could swim. When she was on dialysis, she couldn't be, she couldn't swim. And we're like river, she's a river kid, right? She's a river, she's a lake kid, she's a creek kid. So it was just, it was really sad time. So I was figuring out how to um, change it and and um, get her healthy again. But yeah, so we're okay. She's okay, knock on everything. Yeah. We just have to... Um, her health. That's beautiful. And I'm thinking about what you're saying, bringing it back to motherhood again, and how that weaves through your practice, life and art, there's no separation. And I feel like our generation is owning that and like really putting it at the forefront mm-hmm. of our needs and uh, what our practice entails. And that's how the paradigm shifts, right? Is bringing, bringing your family with you. And how do you in the past couple of years, I've noticed you've been like traveling globally and like just really on the move again. And how are you balancing travel mm-hmm. with like the travel, with the community obligations and then raising the three children? Or maybe one of them isn't needing to be raised anymore, but like, yeah, where do you find all of the, all the space to do that and nurture all those points? Um, I never feel like I'm actually doing it. You know, I always feel like something. Some, somebody's missing out. It's a constant balance, but also like I'm really thankful that I have um, the kids' dad and his family um, involved in my kids' life because they're because because of them I'm able to travel. I'm able to do all these things where I get to leave the house and the community and venture out. Uh, huge support system. Co-parenting with him is like a beautiful thing. Like our relationship around these kids is pretty tight and good. And he, he wants to make it possible for me to be able to do these things because he wants, um, I think he doesn't want me to leave the res. (laughs) I joke. Anyway, no, like co-parenting, I think co-parenting and he has one of the biggest families in our tribe, you know, like there's a lot of them. They're really close and tight knit. So because of that, I'm able to, um, leave my kids and know that they're okay. And there's a lot of people who are taking, helping me along this journey. Like there's so many people behind the scenes that are making it possible for me to be in these other places. And, and also with tribal council, um, there's a certain amount of hours you have to do every pay period. And I try to get those hours in, make the mandatory meetings, vote when I need to be voting, but also for our tribal council, Zoom. We can Zoom. So I can be, like, I remember Zooming in from the Bartolome Gallery in New York to a meeting. So, like, it's possible for me to um, be an, on Tribal Council and also be at an art show at the same time, you know? Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Like, beyond uh, being a practicing artist, you're a Klamath tribe, Tribal Council member, and you've been working in the community. Yeah. And I've seen you like uplifting grassroots organizing and efforts for tribal agency. And I want to talk a little bit about your advocacy work through your position, specifically in supporting salmon runners and the protection of your rivers. And also like 
your efforts for land back that I've seen you working towards um, and noting how all that's intertwined. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about that work? So when we, after surgery, the kids and I were, they weren't in school for that two years. So they were on, we were on territory for like out, we were out and about, we were, it was, it was a beautiful, it was actually really beautiful. But when I talked about having to be really mindful and intentional, intentional about creating that space of like joy and play, that the same goes for when I'm creating that space for my kids on the territory. I know I have to be strapped up. I have to carry bear mace because of the threats that I know are out there. So being really mindful about creating this space for my kids to access joy on our territory but I also have to be really protective over these spaces at the same time. And when we were out there for two years, my kids were like, mom, why is, why are these dead fish? Like, why do we have all these dead fish in our lake? And why they had all these questions because they now had a love language for our territory and how, and how we were on the territory. It's just, it was pretty, really amazing. Just that time we had, but they also had these questions. They had these questions and they were um, afraid. Uh, yeah, they were afraid and they were worried about why certain things were happening in our territory to our water, um, to our fish relatives, to our food sources. And so the, the questions that they had, I was like, man, I really don't know. And so I had to, like, learn about what was happening on the ter- territory. So then that's when I started to merge my studio practice with, like, resistance work because we are on the brink of, like, like collapse. Right, like it's happening. Like our one of our oldest food sources is um, could go extinct every year. Like every year, we have to like see like are we gonna get enough waterfall? Are we gonna like all of these things are happening on our territory? My kids had questions, and then I was like, well, well, maybe I should run for tribal council because maybe I'll have a stronger voice. Maybe I'll be able to vote a certain kind of way that will affect my grandbabies, and I can start making change in a different kind of way. It might've been the worst choice that I've ever made. <laughs> I'm just joking. Or the best choice I've ever made. I don't know yet. <laughs> Was this the worst thing I've ever done? I don't know. Um, it's a whole nother world, right? It's a whole nother way of performativity. It's a whole nother violence that I'm experiencing. Um, it's a whole nother toxic that I'm experiencing, but also it's a whole nother, like, like a deeper love for my people I'm experiencing in a way I'm seeing, I'm just able to, um, and have like a broader understanding of what's happening and why, and historically why this is happening. It's really hard though. It's probably the hardest thing that I've ever done, but I'm hoping, uh, prayer is really important and I'm praying that this is, um, I'm here because I should be here, and I was one of the Willa Palace, Councilwoman Willa Palace. She's no longer in um, office, but her and I were the the highest vote for our people, for our tribal people during election time. So just having, just knowing that the people voted me in and want me to be there and that they have this love for me makes it, I, I remember that every day before I go to the office. <laughs> You have these people who are behind you and they love you, bitch. Remember that shit. (laughs) Um, Because it's hard. These spaces are really hard to be 
to not agree has been really hard to um, know. And I've and I've done a lot of work too to help me in this position. Like going to the Harvard Project for nation building was really important to this for me in this space. So um, I'm learning and I'm and I'm and I'm trying the best as I can, but. It's a really hard space to be in. Yeah, there's also like a a generational gap, I think, in a lot of um, systems of power, like the one you're navigating. And so there's like protocols, but then there's also like the need for change. So there's this balancing act, and and people don't want to change. They and they will they will try to get you out if you if you want change. <laughs> I was mad. Okay, so I met this man at Harvard. He was, do you say Sami? Is it pronounced Sami? Sami people? Sami. Yes. He was Sami Sami from over there. And he was, he's like a a leader. I don't know what tribe, if they do tribes or clans. Man, I'm sorry if I'm butchering this up. But he was a leader. He is a leader. And he was like, and I was telling him about just how hard it's been. And being new to this and being the youngest one in this space, in this government space, uh, he was like, all right, well, do the work you're supposed to do um, and make them kick you out. <laughs> so I was like, brilliant, brilliant. That helped me too, right? Like, kick me out then. Like, like, um, and just do the work. Do the work. Push through. Do the work. I don't know if it's ever going to be comfortable for me in these spaces. Also, being Black Indigenous is another, like, layer to how I'm treated and my experiences in this space, too. I think that's really important to bring forward. But hopefully, like, other younger Black Indigenous people we have in our community will see this as a space for them as well. And hopefully younger, just younger, period, our, our citizenship will come through and want to hold these positions to lead our nation. We are a full nation, a full sovereign nation with a full treaty and all of that. So hopefully they'll come through um, and change this space. So you've mentioned the underpinning frustrations around like this, like multiplicity of uh, being black and indigenous. And what are some kind of things that have helped you or kind of points that have helped you to move through this like layered racism that kind of comes in to somebody who's navigating all of these different identities, um, self-identification and like presenting identification. I just want to share some resource young people who might be about to go into these types of battles in their own communities, in the art world, in pop culture. Yes. Oh, yes. What I don't have and what I know I need is mentorship. Um, I thought I would get that from the older people who've been in these positions for maybe too long. I thought that I would find like mentorship. Um, I didn't find that. So I've had to find that outside of um, tribal, our own tribal government. Mentorship has been huge in um, this space. Also, I think mentorship in the art world is really important too. But when in saying that, I think that we should have a, you should have youth as part of um, someone who's mentoring you, um, someone who's younger than you from maybe another generation. I think that's for me, that's important to have that. They're really smart and they know, and they're are part of the, they're the, the future, right? So they know what they need. Um, and 
They can read you too. Boy, that younger generation can read you quick. I think that's important to have that sort of like youth critique. Oh, um, definitely. I think having like a mentorship that's younger is really important in my practice, my studio practice, but also in this, the government, the, the government that I'm in, um, political practice. Yeah, let's see, mentorship is really important. But I think also think that being able to, to have, I'm not only, I'm not totally de- financially dependent on my paycheck from tribal government. I'm not totally dependent on my paycheck in the art world either. So I'm, I'm able to like be in and out of these spaces because I'm not um, dependent financially on any of these spaces. So it frees you up a bit. It frees my voice up a bit even to say what I want to say and um, to be really honest. So what would that be? Like having a source of income, being financially independent of these spaces might help. Take the advice to William T. Williams. I should bottle that up. Yeah, strategize. Yeah, like where's your money coming from? I don't know. I'm actually looking for advice for tribal council because, boy, all the advice I could get, all the mentors I could get. Oh, you know, Deb Holland, she was a big, she, she grabbed me, hadn't met her before. She just grabbed my hand and she was like, don't quit. Never met her before in my life. And I was like, do you see this on my face? I, and I started crying, and she was crying too. And she just talked about her experience, uh, her political experiences, and um, her journey. And so I, I've always like think back to what Deb um, has said, and like because um, I have a three year term, you know, this is my first year, so I keep her close to her words, really close. But um, yeah, that's all. That's all I can think of now is that younger, I think younger mentorship is really important. Yeah, I love that. And like back in the day, there was like a mentorship and apprenticeship were feeding each other. Right. And we, we kind of have lost Mm. in our siloed efforts to like be these like individualistic artists, like toiling away alone in our studio. And I'm like, that's actually like not very human. (laughs) Like that's not the way we've evolved. We had elders and youth and everybody kind of sharing ideas and like producing an evolving culture together. And one thing that this project, the podcast Broken Boxes and the work that I do satelliting out from it, it's about intersection. It's about um, sharing ideas across identities, across ages, across um, genders. Like there's just so much that we can learn from each other if we take the time to um to look outside of our own communities because sometimes we um can harm harm each other lateral violence is real you know within the art world within um, various cultural communities like we need that breath of fresh air right yeah yes yeah i'm wondering um if there's anything kind of like bringing this back into your art practice anything that being a practicing artist has helped you with as far as like bringing in ideas from outside of your community helped you with to deal with like what you have the work you have to do in your community and on the land and vice versa yeah or responsibility that feeling of responsibility even though I don't want it like I just want to frolic right I want to just frolic I want to like I don't know put my just go swimming 
I want to go fishing, even though I'm the worst fisher person. <laughs> um, I want to I want to be out there, but also I have a responsibility because it's not right. Mm-hmm. Things are not right the way they are right now. So I feel like a responsibility. Uh, yeah, I think it's a responsibility. And my kids are asking questions and 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 they they need me. I think they need me to be in these positions that I'm yeah. in um, politically. Yeah. Man, I I can only hope, right, to hold these kind of spaces. But I just I started doing full time art because I wanted to hold space for Black Indigenous to exist in these spaces that are in the Native American art world. Um, I wanted to hold that space, and I wanted to hold tight to that space because I feel like we're not in these spaces a lot. Looking at collections, looking at um, larger institutional collections. Looking at the the shows, um, I didn't I didn't see that voice, even though we've always been around since America has been here, and those experiences don't help us complete this idea of what Indian is, but also like also saying out loud that like being black doesn't compromise my indigeneity, like that's always a thing, right? Being less than fuck, it's a no for me, and it's a hard no. I'm raising children, and I have to show them that it's a hard no. So that's why I'm critiquing blood quantum a lot in my work, in my practice, um, even though I participate in it. <laughs> you know, like I couldn't hold this position. I couldn't have this tribal housing if I didn't quantify my blood through blood quantum, you know, like if I didn't participate. Because that's how I belong to a tribe. That's how we self-determine ourselves is through blood quantum. I couldn't vote without it, without meeting that percentage i couldn't uh, i can't be on tribal council without meeting that percentage you know but i'm just thinking about intersectionality but how like um professor or kimberly crenshaw defined it but like thinking about power structure power structures and that's why i'm thinking about the power structures in indian country is blood quantum It, it, it tells you who is and who is not but through my own experiences and through my own tribe and my own communities both urban and rural Holding that kind of space is really important for me. The The fact that you're playing in these different spaces or working in these different spaces allows you to like tap into energies and bring them into one another, right? So you're you're talking about identity in your art and then you're talking about yeah, yeah. Um, you're bringing an artistic mind into like these very like council-based like um, government kind of sanctioned spaces. Yeah, bringing that weird, right? I know. <laughs> it is. They don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know, I was like, um, but like also using when I, when the Whitney came through and they were wanting to acquire a piece, then using that because like when you get work acquired, you have like a lump sum of money. And then what do you do with a big lump sum of money? You can like slap it on some like land back um, gestures. And like I bought, a piece of land. It's like a cute little plot of land on our territory. Like my first land back buy uh, was from the Whitney acquiring a piece. And hopefully I'll be acquiring a few more plots over there. But none, none of these like roles that I have are isolated from another. They're all woven into each other. Like I go, I know like I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to speak, be really intentional when I speak as a, as a tribal council um, member. But also, like, all of that is being informed by my studio practice. That's being informed by my mamahood. That's why I'm there. 
is because I'm an artist and I'm a mama. Like, they got me. I was really, when I campaigned, I was like, y'all have to, I'm black, you know? <laughs> I'm a mama. These are the things that I am. These are the things that I love. And this is who I am. And this is who you're going to vote for. Um, just being really honest in, like, my campaign letter. And this is what I'm about. So, like, having the most votes is, like, really dope, I think. Um, it really it meant that our people do want change. But, yeah, I think that in these positions in tribal government, uh, more artists need to be in these spaces. Yeah. Because if you can creatively problem solve in a way that can like blow your blow your worlds up into ways that support change and, and like transition into change, like transformative, I think art can be really transformative. It, it can only just like, um, I don't know, I think art is power. Art is power and it has the ability to transform. And I think that if when we're thinking about nation building and um, culture, Put artists in these spaces. Like we, I think we definitely are gold. We can be gold in these spaces. We we can't be what we need. So I'm trying to convince them that <laughs> I should be there. Like, listen to me. <laughs> I have a great idea. <laughs> it might be years, but I swear it's great. That's incredible. That is, yeah, that is exactly the stance that we need to like ripple out into like the collective consciousness. Yeah. It just kind of makes me think about like the way I round out the conversation and just a couple little kind of quick questions is what advice could you give to another person existing in the space that you are were maybe in like 2019 or just maybe in the space of not knowing and trying to figure it out, you know, um, and we opened the conversation with advice, right? So maybe um, yeah. maybe dialing that in a little bit more and offering offering a little bit deeper from that initial nugget of advice from from my from twenty nineteen, Natalie. Whatever Natalie you think needed some help from today, <laughs> Natalie. Now. And I love that, I love that you say that you're still seeking that mentorship, still seeking the way because I think that that's where real power lies in never knowing or never saying like you have the resolution or you have I don't. Yeah, that's what we need. No, no. we meet, need more humility I think in the way we act. Yeah. Like social media and dialogue, there's there's so many yeah. hard lines we're just like building walls up around ourselves, right? That's beautiful. Yeah. I love the way that you talk about your unknowingness. And so um, maybe bringing some advice that's open-ended might lean a little bit towards that, you know? Yeah, I don't. I just, I just have figured out since, well, when I graduated, I thought that my life, I wanted to build a certain kind of life. And I just, I know now that it doesn't take a lot for me to be happy and it doesn't take a lot for me to have the kind of life I want. It doesn't, I don't need a lot. I really don't. So those expectations that I thought, yeah, don't apply to me anymore. Yeah, I I don't claim to know anything. I just know that when I feel uncomfortable, I want to speak to that. <laughs> when I feel like in my gut something's wrong, I want to speak to that. And like my practice is like not about being right or wrong. It's just um, responding really most of the time. And, and knowing that I deserve to be here, I think I always have to remind myself that I do deserve to be here, but it's a constant, like, like 
conversation and like even like internally. But I feel like having community that reflects that back to me, like not like I'm wanted here, I, I deserve to be here is really important. What belonging looks like, I think I think um, that's a huge part. This is new. I, this is a new idea, I guess. That belonging has been really important to me because I felt like belonging has looked different in Indian country and belonging has looked different in um, our Black community uh, in really beautiful, different ways and hard ways. Um, so I just want to figure out how to belong in these spaces and to be like a good relative a good future ancestor in these spaces to be remembered and to be in these collections, to have these sort of opportunities where I'm able to speak about who I am and to be remembered in a certain kind of way, I guess that is important to me. And I really like um, seeing that in other people's practices. I think about belonging and memory. Her, John Quixote Smith had her first retrospective at the Whitney of American Art. It's their first retrospective of a Native artist as well. Memory map? Yeah. Memory, yeah. Remembering the idea of memory. So I think that's really important to me is being remembered in a certain kind of way in my community, to my kids, um, in tribal government, and in the art world. These spaces are really important to me and how I'm remembered um, and, and the... And I'll, re- I'll be remembered because there's documentation in tribal government, right? My vote, my votes are recorded. Natalie Ball voted yes to this subject, right? Natalie Ball, Natalie Ball said no, and here's her testimony of why she said no. Oh, and my grandkids will be able to come back and see that. That's really important to me because that's a form of resistance, right? Like how I'm voting and where my voice is at. Then also like where my work is and be remembered in collections. You know, I placed materials, that um, beaded crown that I wore, I put it into a, into collections where it's going to be housed and people are going to see it and I'll be remembered. Um, and then I have a narratives that belong to that. Belonging and memory are really important to me. So I think that we deserve to be remembered. We deserve to belong, you know, because I think a lot of things have been in place to erase us. And they're happening now. And so I just think that being remembered and just having um, that is really powerful in my practice. I don't know if I'm the best person to give advice because when push comes to shove and I feel threatened and scared, I'm not always making the best decisions. You know, I'm just making the best decisions where I can take care of my kids and my family immediately. You know, um, I'm having to buy back work now because of it. You know, like I'm not the best person. <laughs> I can teach you how to hustle, though. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bad Indian, right? Like, I'm, don't come to me. I don't wear ribbon skirts. Um, you know, I don't fluently speak my, I don't ride a horse. Um, <laughs> you know, I love sweet grass, but like, I don't know how to harvest it. <laughs> You know, I'm just having, like, I'm just, I, I'm existing, right? Our our existence is a form of resistance, and I'm, I'm just pushing through and responding to these things that um, are happening in my world, and I don't know if I'm the best person to give advice. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Like, 
always like stay humble <laughs> like don't don't go giving out advice if you don't think you're the, if you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> don't be like me Fuck. but also all those yeah. hiccups and mess ups and bumps in the road and like all those things got you to this moment of how you can yeah. your truth trust your gut know what's important to you and not and so just this whole conversation is almost like some advice, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, fail fast, fail often. That's what we say around here. Yes. I just, I think that's the best advice because I feel like I'm always doing that. I'm always doing that. I always, I'm always putting myself and making choices, putting myself in situations where I'm having to just figure it out. You know, um, there's not a lot like elders in my family. We don't last very long. There's like I I didn't grow up with uh with grandparents really. I might have had one and she she died pretty early. Yeah, we don't we don't make it. Like we don't have elders to pass down. I don't remember getting like advice. It was just seeing how people live their life and the decisions that they made and basing my decisions off of what I what I've seen, I guess. Yeah. Um and life happens fast, boy. Life happens fast, so do the best you can. Don't be a bad Indian like me. <laughs> I don't know what to give the people. You know, I just have to, you know, open up my life in a way that's generous so you can figure it out for yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's real. And I think that that's beautiful. Like, we need to kind of ease up on the uh, judgment of each other like as human beings, I think that there's so much we can learn from each other, from the good and the bad, uh, from every step that we're taking as humanity. Like we need to, we need to look deeper and like be critical. And I think being critical isn't a negative, but we can be critical and kind, right? Right. We can do both. Yes. Yes. I agree. Totally. Like I totally agree being critical, but being in care at the same time. Yeah. Like, man, like, I think that is where, I don't know. I just, I think having a relationship to having like being in relationship with community, I think has been really important to me. It's like my strong suit mm. is, and that is not, that's not romantic. That's hard. Yeah. Um, that's really hard. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the answers are. I wish I had, I hope I'm old enough. I hope I get old enough to where I, I can have, forms of advice i hope that i have the privilege of being an elder you know to where i might be in a space where i can look back on everything and pull things and then curate it and then push it out but i feel like maybe i don't know i don't know what's going to happen i think for my advice um in my in my career and my practice is about safety i think learning how to keep yourself safe um having good boundaries and having hard, um, say giving hard no's is really important. Um, in my practice, um, no is a full sentence, you know, safety is important. Right on. Yeah. Well, now I have my last question for you, which is what advice do you have to people in positions of power in the art world <laughs> that might help our generation of artists who come from spaces uh that aren't of privilege this, this mm. soapbox moment like what do you want to tell the art world oh 
I don't know. That's a good one. Like they, they, what's their privilege? Like their power is money. Money, generally whiteness, generally maleness. I'd say, you know, I think. I guess I could just speak to something that has happened in my practice and the conversations that I have, I have had with um, an institution with power in those kind of ways um, that you described. It would be with the Smithsonian. Okay. I haven't been doing work with them or saying no to them because of our, our history, uh, tribal history with them. I'm like fighting to keep an ancestor's head. We fought hard and long for this uh, and they fought back. And I just felt like for me to move forward to like do shows with them, what does being in care with each other look like, you know, and, and you know, and it was a show that they proposed to me and I, and I met with them with the two curators, um, even though they're not like the higher ups, but I was like, what, let's be in care. Let's have a conversation. How do we, um, how do you give back to the community? How do you give back to tribes when you have that sort of relationship with them? Joseph Pierce, really, I had a conversation with him because I was like, I'm not doing a show with them. Mm. You know, he was like, but girl, like, are you the purity police? Like, <laughs> like what? Find out what care means. And I was like, wow, really smart, Joseph. Beautiful. What does that then look like? Because you kind of break down these barriers, these walls that you might have, and then being more vulnerable in a way that you're thinking about being in relation to them, if you even want to. Um, yeah. Because that's part of power, right? These institutions have power, man. They have power to um, dig up our bones and keep them. They have that power to do experiments on our bones and keep them and not return them. Um, so those are the kind of powers that I've spoken to or just tried to have a conversation with. Um, mm. but I, I don't know where that is. I don't know where that's going, but it's something that I tried. I tried it out. It didn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, but even just saying it out loud, like the try, the, like the, getting to the position of understanding that there is like legislation, there is direct action, there is more kind of subversive forms, mm -hmm. activation that can, can penetrate that wall of power and privilege. And you're, yeah. you're testing the waters, right? And um, maybe that's what that's what you could say to them. It's like our generation and those to come will be testing these waters. We will be finding. Yeah. <laughs> they should be even more so, you know, I know that NAGPRA is happening. I know my tribe is doing their, what they need to do on their end, but also what do we do as artists on our end? Mm -hmm. How do we, how do, what's our conversation? How do we talk to these institutions? Um, and because we do hold certain kind of positions. I like to think positions of some sort of influence. But also, if we were speaking to 2019, Natalie, I would be like, you want to buy some work? <laughs> <laughs> Are you buying work or not? Because if you're not, I got to go. But now, this Natalie, um, I would, I would, would want to be in conversation with you if you're interested in my practice. Like, where does your money come from? Like, how are you? Like, yeah, like, where is your money coming from? Why are you this rich and why do you? You know, because I want to know who's buying my work in that way. I think that's really interesting in my work now. Just be able to sit back and ask the questions. 
Um, I love that. That that's the question. Where does your money come from? Because that's the rabbit hole that takes us through all the trauma that those families have inflicted on indigenous people across the nation and globally, you know, um, generally yeah. extractive industry is involved. You know, there's just so many layers when you start following the paper trail of money. So I really like that as the question to ask to power. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that information. <laughs> you, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do because we participate in capitalism as artists, you know. Yeah. So to what end? To what end? You know, I wish that I was more profound in the way that I could answer things. But I think the beauty in, in my practice is the life that I live. Yes. You know, and like the journey that I'm on. And there's just the ups and downs and the failures. I think it's the failures. It's just me. I, I just participated in a book with Jeffrey Gibson, and I included only pieces of the of the of the pieces of work that I was doing at that time when I was really afraid, and I was really like hustling and scrambling because I don't know. I just wanted to be that work to be remembered in this book. Yeah, for me. Like, you know, for me, like, this is when, and it's in this book now, and it'll be in this book. Um, even there, there's other people there, but like, for me, it was intentional to put that work in this space because that was from that time, you know, that was like little capsule of time. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a thoughtfulness. And I think that that's really important to share with our audience, like the humanity of the artist um, beyond, beyond the work and the accolades and like the perception of us on social media or whatever there's just like there's a human being trying to communicate and i loved that when you were talking to me in the beginning of the conversation about taking us with you on the ride and i feel like yeah, yeah. that's exactly what we've done on this podcast so thanks for like bringing us in you know yeah come with me i don't know what i'm doing where i'm going <laughs> but come with me i swear you're gonna have a good time <laughs> that's like my whole life really like buckle up i'm that auntie buckle up <laughs> or don't <laughs> but we're going you know and that's why i started offering yes but we're going somewhere that's why i offer these tours at home too right i was like come and come through like get in let me show you all i can do is show you and you figure it out how you feel about about it you know all i can do is show you point to things give you an experience but at the end you decide on how you feel or where you stand on any of this really yeah yeah dang thank you thanks for bringing yeah. me in and everybody who's going to listen to this in like you're so um generous with your work and your you you are riding that edge of like call out and call in and like care and also like criticism and I I look I look up to you in those ways like I see the way you're not oh, yeah. the world and it's 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 powerful you know and there's there is there is new maps being made right we're we're creating new memory maps as Jean put it you know so yeah so I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to be in community um, for this project and I I look forward to all that's to come so yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your time too. And you're, you're very, you're, you're, I appreciate your words and you have a lot of people in the world who love you. 
So I had no choice to love you too, you know? Even though I've never hugged you. <laughs> yeah. You get my love. Our hugs will come soon. We'll bring you on. <laughs> right on. Thank you for this opportunity. I mean, I wish I could have been more profound in ways in speaking about my work, but I just feel like this is what it is. This is my practice. This is my life. So hmm. um, hopefully, you, hopefully there's something in there. Yes. And this is just the beginning. We'll have you back in 10 years and we'll <laughs> stop it up again. <laughs> right. All right. I'll probably have five more kids. <laughs> right on <laughs> funny okay okay deal so, bet bet on that I'll put it on my calendar uh yes we'll have you'll have your assistant by then <laughs> oh my goodness i'll have a manager oh well, i might even have a gallery <laughs> i'll be working with smithsonian we'll be in care <laughs> Everything will be lovely. <laughs> and everything will be fine. That's funny. <laughs> oh, thanks, Natalie. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I just, I just hopefully that you got what you needed. Yeah, for sure. This is exactly what this project is. It's like artist run independent. Like I don't get, it's all just about sharing ideas between us. And so that this was, I just shared yeah. conversation and, so many people I know love you too. So I'm just like, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Good people attract good people, I think. Uh, came a long way from the Ville, damn right. We done made it here without a deal, damn right. Fake ones always tell me keep it real. Where there's cameras on the cameras, I'ma tell you how I feel. I walk it like I talk it, oh yeah, damn right. You ain't know me, shut the fuck up when you talking, damn right. Man, I came up from the bottom, now we popping, damn right. Nowadays it's fuck you, pay me while we talking, damn right. Damn right. Don't judge me, baby. Uh, just smudge me, baby. Uh, got the magic, baby. Uh, just like my lady. Uh, we them red kids. Jacket with the fringe. Now we do it big. Now ain't that a bitch? Uh, medicine wheels, medicine bags. Need you spiritual. Securing the bags across the land. We need the Beatles, bro. My hair too thick. The crown don't fit. Try pile a of flow. Don't like it. I love it. Love you. Couldn't pay me to cut it, bro. Nah. Came a long way from the Ville. Damn right. We done made it here without a deal, damn right Fake ones always tell me keep it real Where there's cameras on the cameras I'ma tell you how I feel I walk it like I talk it, oh yeah, damn right You ain't know me, shut the fuck up when you talking, damn right Man, I came up from the bottom, now we popping, damn right Nowadays it's fuck you, pay me while we talking, damn right Damn right Damn right. We legendary, yeah. Uh, it's hereditary, uh. I'm a salmon berry, yeah. Uh, you a dingleberry, bruh. In my bag, like, yeah, yo. Making bread, no play though. All eyes on me, we know. I'm such a Leo. I've been supernova. Been feeling like I'm hover. I know you see the turquoise when I sip on my mimosa. Aquaman Momoa, big drip, super soaker. Skin tone mocha with these diamonds on my choker. 
Came a long way from the veil, damn right We done made it here without a deal, damn right Fake ones always tell me keep it real Where there's cameras on the cameras I'ma tell you how I feel, I walk it like I talk it, oh yeah, damn right You ain't know me, shut the fuck up when you talking, damn right Man, I came up from the bottom, now we poppin', damn right Nowadays it's fuck you, pay me while we talking, damn right Damn right.